today's episode is part one of a two-part episode featuring the Salsa Swindler, a career criminal that started a long-distance relationship with a lady who accumulated a nice savings. However, lies and deceit are the key to his salsa recipe when he sets his eyes on her money to fund his alleged business. We talked to the investigator that worked the case and the actual victim. She courageously shares her viewpoint to help others avoid being burned by fraudsters like the Salsa Swindler. Hello and welcome to Real Life Regulators, a podcast aimed at educating investors using real cases. This podcast is brought to you by the North American Securities Administrators Association, also known as NASA. I'm Nick Vondaru, the Marketing Specialist for the Alabama Securities Commission, and I'll be serving as one of your hosts. And today, my co-host is Beatrice Medina, a financial analyst for the State of New Mexico Securities Division Enforcement Bureau. And joining us today is Special Agent Rob Barr from the State of New Mexico Securities Division Enforcement Bureau. And later, we will be hearing from the actual victim of this case, but to protect her privacy and identity, she will be referred to as Marie. We are here to talk about what happened, what went wrong, and what you can do in the future to best protect yourself from securities fraud. Rob, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. Rob, before we get into this case, let's start off and tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Rob Barr. I'm a special agent uh, with the State of New Mexico Securities Division. I've uh, uh, worked with uh, the State of New Mexico uh, Securities Division for about five years. Prior to that, I was with uh, the New Mexico Gaming Control um, Bureau here in New Mexico and enforcement. And then prior to that, I was with uh, the uh, Doniana County Sheriff's Office and Silver City Police Department uh, after I retired from the federal system. Uh, I, I spent about 25 years working as a special agent with Drug Enforcement Administration, U.S. Customs Service, and Homeland Security prior to uh, retiring. So this is my second uh, stint around in uh, the law enforcement world. So, Well, thank you so much for what you have done to help protect the public and the citizens of your state. Uh, the subject of this case is Eduardo Tristi. Can you briefly describe this case? Yes, Mr. Triste uh, was an individual originally uh, apparently from Arizona. Um, he was a Marine in Vietnam and uh, as an enlisted guy, he was a sergeant. And uh, he got out, got into Arizona and had a, quite an extensive criminal history in Arizona. Um, and then for whatever reason, he was able to get a new uh, identity, a new date of birth, and a new social security number, and he moved over to New Mexico, and he laid low for many years until uh, he was here about 15 years, and then he got in trouble for uh, selling somebody a non-existent car, and he was uh, charged with that with fraud. He was on probation at the time that, uh, unfortunately, uh, Miss Marie had, had the uh, dubious honor of encountering him. So. He was on probation at the time he encountered her. Uh, Marie was working as a telemarketer type selling uh, natural products down in Southern California. And Mr. Triste called in uh, looking to get some of the uh, pain cream for his neuropathy or something is my recollection. And he started visiting with her and he convinced her that he had a uh, ongoing viable chili 
farm and operation and manufacturing facility here in New Mexico. And she later invested around uh, between uh, 65 and $75,000. What happened next is uh, he was supposed to come down there and see her. Uh, he told her that he was a, uh, a Marine aviator and an officer and uh, that he had been a POW with John McCain, Senator John McCain, and, uh, you know, painted himself as quite the uh, illustrious war hero. Miss uh, Marie had been um, uh, down in California, had known a couple, uh, several Marine officers and found them to be of good character. And so she believed the guy. And uh, so uh, after a while, you know, nothing ever happened. Uh, he kept asking for more money. And finally, she got disgusted and drew, uh, took the train up here to Las Cruces from uh, the L.A. Orange County area, went out to his house and confronted him and saw that A, he was married, B, B he lived in a little uh, lot, but there was no vast uh, chili fields. And uh, he lived very humbly in a single wide uh, mobile home and uh, not quite the way he portrayed himself to her. And uh, eventually she went to the sheriff's office, who uh, the Doniana County Sheriff's Office referred the case to us because it seemed like investment fraud. So we have a close working relationship with them. I used to work with them and my old boss and sergeant is now the uh, captain in charge of uh, the criminal investigation division. So he refers us anything in the realm of uh, securities fraud to kind of help uh, take some of the uh, pressure off of his guys. They're pretty overwhelmed with property crimes at the sheriff's office, uh, as you can imagine. Right. Well, you had mentioned a little bit about his background. Uh, can you go into a little bit more? What, do you know how long he was actually in the service? I think he was in there like uh, four or five years, and it looks like uh, from his DD-214 that he got in trouble. And I would tell everybody right now, here's here's a, a, a gold star. If you're investigating someone and you're trying to get them fully identified and you're having problems and that individual you think might have been in the military, a really good resource for everyone to uh, have is uh, the U.S. Department of uh, Veterans Affairs Office of Inspector General. Uh, typically, the federal agencies really won't cooperate with a state law enforcement entity, but if you contact like the IG's office and, and they do contract fraud and that type of thing and employee misconduct, they're a little more amenable to assisting you. And that's how we've uh, found uh, Mr. Triste's extensive previous criminal history was through uh, uh, the, the Veterans Administration Office of Inspector General Special Agent that assisted us. Nice. So, you know, basically he had a, uh, I, I think um, from the time he got out, the late 60s, up until he moved to New Mexico, he had probably, out of a 20-year stint, he probably spent at least uh, 15, 16 years of that in prison in Arizona for various fraud-related uh, convictions and activities. Wow. Rob, did you know if Mr. Triste was married? Did he have a family that lived here in New Mexico or anywhere else? He did. He had a new wife and, and children. In fact, uh, when uh, in, in the state of New Mexico, we are required to serve somebody a, um, a uh, uh, copy of the uh, proposed indictment and a target letter. And when I went looking for Mr. Triste to go knock on his door to serve that to him, the first thing his new wife says, what has he done now? 
<laughs> so I don't think she was real surprised that uh, some guy like me can knock it on his door. But uh, And she seemed pretty disgusted with the guy. And she actually showed up to the trial. And uh, I think she got pretty angry when uh, uh, Marie was basically, you know, relaying how this guy prior to and throughout some of the investment had attempted to essentially lead her on romantically and promise her some type of a, a long-term romantic relationship. I think the wife was pretty aggravated about that because she got up and left the courthouse uh, during that testimony. Wow. Well, it seems like he was pretty good at keeping some secrets. Um, and going back and just preparing for this interview today, doing a little bit of research, was there a discrepancy about Mr. Tristy's age? Well, I think yet he had, I think he was two years older. I mean, basically when he uh, obtained the new social security number and date of birth, um, he basically got, made himself like two years younger uh, than, he, than he probably was. And, and again, uh, we didn't know that until we were able to um, coordinate with the uh, Veterans Administration Office uh, of Inspector General and see his original DD-214. I, I had great difficulty finding the DD-214 under the new Social Security number and date of birth. And it was like two years different. You know, I think the new one was like 1940, where his real one was, his actual one was uh, 1938, something like that. So it wasn't a big disparity, but somehow uh, he was able to come up with a new Social Security number and date of birth, effectively. Well, how old was he during this time? At the time, uh, I think he was born in 1938, so he was probably close to uh, late 70s. Wow. So, Rob, where was Eduardo originally from? He was from over there in uh, Arizona. From Arizona? South of Phoenix, in like Pima County or somewhere in there. And where was he living whenever this fraud took place? He was living in a little, uh, probably a quarter maybe a half acre uh, lot in the desert off of uh, US Highway 70, um, kind of east, I guess it would be northeast of Las Cruces. So is it kind of a, a rural area, you would say? It is It is a rural area, lower socioeconomic uh, area, a lot of uh, mobile homes and that type of thing. Uh, when I worked for the sheriff's office, we had a lot of calls out in that area. <laughs> and. Uh, so it, it wasn't the best area, and uh, but I gave it to uh, Marie. She was pretty fearless and tenacious. She went out there and went to his house before she called us to uh, confront the guy and get her money back. Uh, how long had he lived there? I think close to about 20 years. Okay. Approximately 20 years, maybe, maybe 18, 19, but several, you know. And, and I mean, he had other issues, uh, like say, he, he had, under his new identity, he had maintained a pretty low profile, but he sold somebody a truck, uh, that apparent, or a vehicle, some kind of vehicle that didn't exist, and uh, this New Mexico State Police charged him for that. Um, it was fraud uh, over $2,500, under $20,000, and, uh, and he was on probation and actually used some of Marie's money to pay his criminal restitution. Wow. The jury liked that part. You're right. I can imagine. So, Rob, did Mr. Triste have a job? How did he earn income? 
He was on Social Security. He had a Social Security check, and he actually did. Uh, in fact, he ran around and made uh, small batches of uh, chili and sold them out of, like, one of those $2 ice chests that you get at, like, uh, a 7-Eleven. He would run around and actually sell people uh, jars of salsa or chili, which was essentially, you know, the basis for what he said he was doing with uh, Marie. That he, but he uh, aggrandized and, and exaggerated on a much larger scale, intimating that he had all these guys working in farmland and he had a chili production company, you know, to actually make it and, and was talking. And that's what got her roped in was she was in the logistics in, industry down in Long Beach. And so she wanted to get involved in the international logistics of shipping this uh, chili internationally through Long Beach and exporting it. Wow. Well, we know that he was in the military for some time, but did he have any other previous jobs before that? We know that he was in trouble with the law, um, but do we really know anything about his past before all that? Well, we didn't really find a lot of, of, of normal employment. Here in New Mexico, we have the uh, New Mexico Department of Workforce Solutions, and when we are initiating these investigations, we often um, collaborate and check with them to see if, if somebody has any type of a work history. And his was pretty sketchy. I mean, his was not uh, really flushed out. And, and I think most of it, like I say, uh, he had had some health pro problems. I think he had had some treatment for prostate cancer and uh, some other issues. So, you know, he really hadn't worked for a long time. Okay. And, and as I said, he was an, uh, not a, a sprightly young fellow, and he was on Social Security using his new identity. Gotcha. Well, how did your office actually learn about this case? Well, uh, as I said, Miss uh, Marie contacted, she came up here to confront him, and she went to the Doniana County Sheriff's Office. She was thinking about hiring a civil attorney to try and sue him. Uh, but fortunately, she went to the sheriff's office, and my uh, old captain said, hey, this sounds like a security fraud investigation, and he called me up, and uh, I talked to, uh, after my captain called, my previous boss, I called my current special agent in charge, Graves Stover, and he said, yep, sounds like a good case, get after it. So uh, I went out and interviewed Miss uh, Marie, and we went from there. I got search warrants and subpoenas for Wells Fargo and uh, started uh, following up on... Uh, the bank accounts that uh, Miss Marie's money had been transferred into. There were two. There was a Wells Fargo, and then there was a First Light Credit Union. And just following up the money with uh, then an uh, associate of mine, his name was um, uh, Justin A uh, Ackman. He was uh, uh, our uh, financial analyst at the time, and we just worked it. And, presented it to the grand jury, and they indicted Mr. Triste. And then we went to trial and uh, prevailed against him in a jury trial. Nice. When did this happen? About what year? I think it was probably around 20, uh, 2016, if I remember correctly. In 2016. Can you describe to us about this, quote, salsa company? 
Well, it was non-existent. I mean, basically, it was Mr. Triste buying some chilies, putting them in his blender, and getting a few jars of it, and putting it in, a, in one of those two-dollar ice chests and running around town selling it to people. Did, did you? Have, I'm sorry. Did he have any partners? No. 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 Again, it was just him. It was a pretty small-scale operation. In fact, um, the gentleman from the New Mexico Veterans Associate or Administration Office here had bought chili from Mr. Triste. <laughs> so, well, what did he say about the chili? Was it at least good? It was good. He made good chili. I mean, we have great chili here, so it makes great right. salsa. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to send you some. Right. None of none of his, though, please. No, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, so we're assuming that he didn't have like a legitimate business plan um, to show investors, but what was he actually pitching to the investor? Well, he was basically pitching that he had a lot of uh, uh, farmland here in the United States and in Mexico, and then he had a lot of workers, and then he had a, a production facility to actually make the salsa or the pico de gallo. And... Uh, and, and that was one of the things he solicited money for from uh, Marie is uh, for trucks to truck this down to Long Beach so she could help, quote, export it to uh, China. Did he ever show like a lot of these schemes will come up with glossy material pictures to show? Did he ever present any of that? No, he didn't. And, and, and probably one of the things that uh, got her finally uh, convinced that this was uh, perhaps less than uh, as advertised is he was supposed to come he was supposed to travel down to Long Beach and um, go take her out to the Marine Corps ball with his wow. with his Marine Corps officers Mameluke sword <laughs> and he never showed up and that's what got and then she started doing some uh, uh, reviews and investigation on the internet and found out the guy was married and that uh, I think that was probably one of the reasons why she came up to confront him that and because you know she had said hey if, if this isn't going to come through I want my money back so that's why she you know got on the train rented a car and went to go confront him and uh, Rob what made this offer a security well it was it was a, uh, a profit-making uh, venture in a uh, situation, you know, he had offered her a percentage of the of the company. Like he didn't offer her stock certificate, but he offered her like a third of the ownership in this non-existent company with another individual from Taiwan that was purportedly going to be their business partner that we also believe was non-existent or that we was never there, noted. Sure. Was there a, writ a written contract or a promissory note? No, no. It was just a. Uh, just a uh, interest in a profit-making venture is what it was. Like a verbal agreement? Well, uh, and, and she put on some of her wire transfers when, and she took copious notes, but when she wired the money through uh, her Wells Fargo bank, she would put on those wire transfers what it was for. So that helped corroborate what she said. But then, no, there was no, never a real uh, written contract or stock certificate or anything like that and that was one of the things that again um convinced her or i think got her suspicious 
is uh, Mr. Triste was supposed to um, send her some type of uh, documentation regarding her joint ownership with these trucks that he you know, solicited. Um, I think it was about $30,000 to buy some trucks to actually purportedly uh, transport some of this uh, salsa down to Long Beach. And that sound, sounded reasonable to her because she was previously in the logistics business and shipping business. Was Marie the only victim that we know of in this scheme? In this particular venture, yes. But there were other uh, calls where people uh, had had issues with Mr. Triste and they called us, but they were either beyond the statute of limitations or they were too small that um, we couldn't pursue them. Well, how would Marie transfer funds from herself to Mr. Tristy? Wire transfers into Mr. Tristy's uh, either his bank account, Wells Fargo bank account, or his uh, First Light Federal Credit Union account. All wire transfers. And it's amazing, she never met him until she came up to confront him. This all started with her visiting with him uh, and him ordering some quantity of, uh, like, or better word, asper cream or some type of, uh, you know, like deep heat, that type of thing, kind of situation. She was working at a telemarketer at the time. Well, how much money um, did she lose total? $70,000, right around there, between 70 and 75. Wow. Rob, can you tell us a little about Marie, like her age? You talked a little bit about her occupation. Was she married or dating? She was a widow and uh, she was, I think about 66, 67 at the time this happened. So Mr. Triste might've been, you know, between eight, and nine years older than her. And again, he, she never met him. She never met him. I mean, this, he, he was able to convince her to do this just basically talking to her on the phone. So it seems like that conversation, um, it wasn't just business. Was there romantic intentions on either part besides just conducting business for this uh, Pico de Gallo business? I think there was on Marie's part, but not obviously Mr. Chiste. That was just part of his uh, uh, schmooze line, as it were. So it was just really a long distance relationship. Yes. Via the phone. Right. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit how Eduardo met Marie? Uh, yes. I mean, he called, she was working as a telemarketer and, and uh, he called in and he started talking to her and uh, I guess she was interested in him, you know, and, and as I said, she had previously gone out being from the Southern California, Orange County area. She had previously dated Marine officers, and when he told her that, um, she was interested in something of a relationship with him because she had previously met uh, Marine officers and in, in her, you know, over the years, and really liked going out with them as they were, as she considered them decent and upstanding individuals. This may be hard to pinpoint. But from their initial conversations, how long do you think it was before uh, Triste started asking for money from Marie? Well, probably within uh, 
three to four months. Not long. Wow. And was it like a big lump sums in the beginning or was it just $200 here, $300 there? No, it was like, you know, a couple thousand here, a couple thousand there. And then uh, the big, you know, bigger score, as it were, would would come when uh, he convinced her to uh, cash in some of her, um, uh, I guess it was a 401k or something, Vanguard funds. And I think that one was like maybe thirty or $40,000 that she sent him. Mm-hmm. So that was a good, a good part of it in just one lick, as it were. In today's time, you know, um, the young kids, they have the Snapchat, the TikTok. Uh, we use Facebook and even probably back then, MySpace might have even possibly been a thing. But she was giving this guy money and she'd started feeling a certain kind of way about him. Did she ever have an idea of what this person looked like? Or was it all like a vision that she had of what he was in her head? I think it was a vision of what she had in her head. I don't think he sent her a picture maybe towards the latter part. And and then, you know, he had promised that he was going to give her a car of some kind. I think it was a Cadillac or BMW or something. And, uh, you know, maybe it's like some kind of a compensation to help her repay her for some of the funds for that she had sent him. That never came to fruition. And then what really got her... Uh, thinking that this guy was not all he said was when he didn't uh, come and show up to take her to the Marine Corps ball. And wow. As he had promised. Well, thank you for joining us today and for the work that you do to protect the investors. That is it for today, but please be on the lookout for the final part of this episode that will be released soon. I'm Nick Vondroo from Montgomery, Alabama. And from Albuquerque, New Mexico, I'm Beatrice Medina. If you have any questions about today's episode or would like more information about the topics discussed, you can email us at realliferegulators at gmail.com. And if you'd like to hear future episodes, please hit the subscribe button. NASA provides this information as a service to investors. It's neither a legal interpretation nor an indication of a policy position by NASA or any of its members. If you have questions concerning the meaning or application of a particular state or provincial law, rule, or regulation, please consult an attorney that specializes in securities law.